Okay, thanks, Jose. We got the go-ahead. You are a chatty group this morning. I'm glad that everybody's in uh, such a good mood. Let me pray, uh, and we will uh, we'll, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for today, for the chance to worship. Lord, that, that we can come before you and declare that you are our God and no one else, and we serve you. Lord, we're grateful for fellowship, the chance to be together and have coffee and to talk and to see one another. Lord, and we're grateful for your word. And I pray now that uh, you would illuminate our hearts with your Holy Spirit to your scripture, Lord. That as uh, we look at this together, um, you would make clear uh, to each of us what you want us to learn. Teach us, Lord. Meet us, each and every one of us in this room, exactly where we are. Minister to us. And then uh, lead us and guide us for how we live and what we do as we, as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this morning, we're going to look at Luke chapter 5, uh, which is the, the story of the miraculous catch of fish. Um, before we do that, um, I, I want to think about fishing together for a few minutes. Now, raise your hand, just give me an idea if you've ever been fishing in this room. Okay, so almost everybody, although not everybody. So I have a, uh, a lot of sort of competing fishing memories. Uh, when I was a kid, I lived, Bob and I are actually from the same hometown, Arlington, Virginia, and so we would go fishing in the Potomac River. Uh, which me and my dad, which isn't exactly like, you know, wildlife refuge. Uh, but uh, we would go, and it was always special time with my dad. I would use something called a bobber that would sit on the water, and it would have a hook and usually a worm. And, and I, as a little kid, I could watch and know when the fish was hitting the bobber. And those are some of, when I think about fishing, those are my earliest memories. Um, another memory I had was a bachelor party I went to uh, with a bunch of my buddies where we went shark fishing in South Carolina. That was awesome. Uh, we went out, they, you know, you get in the boat and you drive like way out into the sea. You can't see the coast or anything. Uh, and we get out there and, uh, and we hooked some sharks, nothing real giant. We, we hooked a lot of stingrays and you would leave this, this, this little fish on the hook and you would have it right at the tip of the water hoping to get the shark to hit it. But I mean, just the day with my friends was awesome. The, the most notable thing that I did that day, there was a guy named First Mate Paul you know, when you get on a boat, you charter a boat. It's like there's like Captain Captain Bob and First Mate Paul. And First Mate Paul was looked like a first mate who was, you know, kind of in his 60s, you know, dirty clothes, kind of, you know, unshaven, you know, messed up hair, kind of grizzled. Well, when I was casting one of my hooks, I hooked First Mate Paul. I went and I was like, <laughs> you know, and he's got to get this hook in him and he's calling me landlubber or something like that. I'm not sure. And another memory I have is when I took uh, when I when I got my job with Young Life, where I was uh, uh, overseeing the the region, what we call the Old Dominion region. We all I, I we chartered a boat in Virginia Beach, and I took forty or fifty of us, and we got on this boat and we spent uh, three or four hours fishing. And when you think about a fishing success story, this was the best one. The sea was like glass. Okay, it was it was beautiful. Everybody is, uh, is on the boat. It's the first time we're all together as a group. Um, the sea is perfect. Everybody is catching fish. Uh, and it's interesting stuff. Like one guy did hook a shark, and they wouldn't let us bring it in the boat. Um, it was, you know, this big or so. But a lot of people caught little puffer fish, and they, if, you, if you have a puffer fish, you blow, and it blows up. It's, you know, so we all had fun, and it was this great day. Um, 
probably the least comfortable, comfortable fishing memory I have is we went on vacation as a family to Florida. And uh, we had, it was the one thing I wanted to do. I was like, I really want to take the family. We want to go out and fish in the ocean. That'll be really fun. So it's expensive, but we had saved money. And Virginia and I took our kids and, and we go down there. And um, essentially there's a, the, the, the guy that's leading the charter is like, hey, you know, it's a little windy. Do you still want to go? And we're, and you know, and a couple of the other charter places were like, yeah, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. It's too windy. But we're like, hey, we're only here for a few days, and this is our shot. So we wanted to go fishing. So we go out on the ocean, <laughs> and and a little windy on land. Uh, the experience is very different, like six miles out in the ocean. Our boat is like this. I mean, we are all over the place. It is, and basically there's five of us in our family. My wife and my son, Emmett, I'll come back to them. Will and Hannah, my two oldest kids, are having a great time. They don't feel sick. They're catching fish left and right. I mean, it is awesome. And I mean, you can see like white caps on there. I'm in the middle uh, of the experience in the sense of I, I don't think, I don't remember catching anything, but I remember spending uh, my time uh, on two things. The first thing was trying to stay balanced on the boat. It, the movement was so up and down that I'm all the whole time, I'm just like, just don't fall over, just don't fall over, just don't. And I feel a little sick, but I don't want my, my, you know, the older kids to know that dads, I'm like, I'm the dad. I don't, dads don't get sick. You know, it's like, that's not what happens. And, uh, and my, my wife and my youngest son, Emmett, were as sick as you could get. They were green, you know, and it was like, when is this thing going to be over? So we think about fishing. You always know when you fish, if you succeeded or not. You know, when, when you go fishing, if you go fishing, the, the question anybody always asks is, did you catch anything? What'd you catch? And sometimes you don't catch anything. Sometimes you catch a lot of stuff. But there's always, there's always an experience to that trip. You can always, you always know what happened. As we look at this passage together, I want you to, we're going to walk through it slowly. I want you to think about the different emotions. Okay? Think about the different emotions that the disciples are going through. So we're going to pick it up here. Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1. The slides up, you guys got, are we good? I'm just seeing the, there we go, thank you. Okay. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Let me pause there just for a second. Let's think about what these fishermen have experienced, what they're thinking and feeling. One thing is, they're really tired. They fished all night. Okay, so they haven't gotten any sleep. Oh, and by the way, while they're cleaning their nets which is what you had to do to keep the nets from rotting. 
Jesus says, hey, can I use your boat to kind of push out a little bit from shore and teach the crowd? So it's likely that these fishermen should have been home at that point. So they are, they are exhausted. Now, the other thing to keep in mind is they didn't catch anything. You know, and, and like, like when we, we, it's always defeating if you go with your fishing pole and you come back with your fishing pole and that's all you have to show for it and you didn't catch, you know, you can't, you don't have a picture of you, the fish, nothing. But, but they, they experienced, they, all night, by the way, they didn't fish for an hour. They fished for several hours with no result. And remember, this is their profession. This is what they do to make money, to, to pay for food, to support their families. This isn't like you or me going into, I, I was, went into Walmart to buy uh, lures one time. Uh, my son was getting into fishing, and, and I asked him, I said, and he, I asked him, I said, hey, we need fishing lures. And he said, well, is it for, you know, the, you want the, the, the Bassmaster 720? It's got all, I was like, do the fish like it? I mean, I don't know. You know, I'm like, I don't know anything about it. These guys are pros. This is what they do. And they got shut out and they're exhausted, frustrated. Who knows what's behind that? Who knows who's got like, hey, you know what? Maybe it's been a bad month. You know, maybe they got to go home and tell their kids, you know, hey, we're eating, you know, whatever the cheapest thing they had back then was. Hey, we're doing that again. Maybe they felt like a failure repeatedly. Who knows? But think about the feelings associated with that. I think that's important in this passage. Okay. Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. We're going to break this down into three thoughts on this passage. There's, there's a lot to it. Um, we're going to look at three today. The first part is this. Jesus Christ knows where the fish are. What that means is, Jesus understands your life better than you do. That's a picture of my buddy Chip. That's his, he, he loves the fish, uh, and that is a uh, non-successful day that he was celebrating. <laughs> but, uh, but Jesus knows your life and you better than you know yourself. You think you know what's best for you, and you may have some good ideas about that, but you also might have some really wrong ones. Jesus knows exactly 
what's best for you. Remember, the fishermen in this passage thought that they knew more about fishing than Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter, um, and these guys were like, hey, you know, I, I don't know the tone that Simon Peter says, Master, we've worked hard all night, but because you say so, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll let down our net. I don't know if that's, uh, if that's sincere, heartfelt, you know, really great submission, or if it's kind of packed with, come on, man, like who knows fishing? We, we're the fishermen. You, you saw things. Go saw some stuff. You're great at it. Let us do the fishing. I don't know. But Jesus knows more about your life than you do. Now, what are the implications of this? Well, there's, here's, a, here's a couple couple ways to think of it. Number one, going against the Word of God is never the right thing to do. Going against the Word of God is never the right thing to do. There are times uh, when every one of us have said, okay, you know what, I'm going to kind of, this, what the Scripture says here doesn't really mean what it says. You know, I'm going to kind of skirt around that. Um, and, and it, you know, it really doesn't really apply or, or whatever. There's all these kinds of things. But, but going against the Word of God is never the right thing to do. When it's in the Scripture, it's right. One of the best examples of that, my wife and I were talking about this last night, Eric Little from the movie Chariots of Fire. If you're my age, you've heard of Chariots of Fire. Uh, if you're younger, the odds are not as high. But he was an Olympian. Uh, and he's very famous for the quote of saying uh, that God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. He loved to run, uh, and he felt that God had given him the gift of running. But this particular race he was supposed to run, he was a sprinter, uh, was, was going to happen on the Sabbath, on Sunday in the Olympics. And Eric Little felt like the Word of God said, and I, I'm not trying to make an overarching statement about the Sabbath. Don't misunderstand that. But Eric Little said, you know, I should not do this on the Sabbath. The Word of God says, I, I don't do this on the Sabbath. So he would not run that race. He was the favorite. He was going to get the gold medal. Uh, and he ended up uh, not running in that race and running in another race that he had never run before and got the gold medal in that race. And it was like unthinkable. Like he was a sprinter. It was a, a longer distance race. It didn't make any sense. But he followed the Word of God, and, and it, was, it was the right thing to do. Going against God's Word is never okay. The second thing is, it lets us know that we can trust God with our future. God has gifted you, and, and you think about we are created uh, in God's image. We are Christ's workmanship, uh, and that He has given us things to do. Like there's roles that we have. We can trust that. We can trust that. So think about your life, and think about the decisions you have coming up. And, and honestly, are you seeking the Lord with those decisions? Relationships, people, opportunities. The first thing is, Jesus understands your life better than you do. He knows where the fish are. And that can be pretty humbling, but it's the truth. The second thing, when we see Jesus clearly, we always see ourselves more clearly. Look at this verse. 
When Simon Peter saw this, this is verse 8, after the miraculous catch of fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Peter becomes aware of who he is when he gets a better understanding of who Jesus is. When he sees Jesus' power and ability to fill their boat with fish, he recognizes, oh, wait a minute, this is who Jesus is, and the reality of who he is becomes much more clear. So much so that he falls on his knee before him. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. A lot of people think, you know, that we read books about self-help and, you know, trying to figure out all these things. Um, our relationship with God is the key to sort of peeling the onion of ourselves. If we want to understand ourselves, that's the first place that we need to look. When we see Jesus clearly, we always see ourselves more clearly. Now, another thing that we have to understand with this is um, what Peter is going through is this recognition of his sin. The other thing that's going to happen is God will bring, okay, as, as you see God clearly and see yourself more clearly, God will bring things into your life that are good for you and good for your relationship with Him. That's, 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 and we're like, hey, that sounds awesome. Now, here's the tricky part. He's going to prune things out of your life that are bad for you, bad for your relationship with Him, and bad for your relationship with other people. Sometimes, those things that God is pruning out of our lives, we hold on to like they're the most important thing. Like, we have to have them. But we don't. And God knows that. He knows what's he knows more about our life than we do. The other thing that happens when we see Jesus clearly, we, we see ourselves more clearly, is we recognize our need for Jesus and the cross. Um, we've got a little graphic we'll put up there. You see, at the beginning, the cross is small. Because when we first begin a relationship with Christ, we don't realize we're that bad. And this is not self-hatred when I say that that bad. That gets misused um, in our culture some. But the reality of our sin is it infects every part of us. Our thoughts, our thoughts, our words, our deeds, all that. It's, it's kind of marbled into us. And when we, we don't see it, we don't realize the depth of it. But as we grow in our faith in Christ, two things happen. One thing is we recognize the depth of our sin. I, I can say I've, I've been following Christ for about uh, 36 years. I am way worse than I thought I was when it comes to sin. The worst thing that you could say about me is half the truth. I mean, it, this is the reality. And again, I'm not, it doesn't mean I'm not valuable, God. I absolutely am. And does He love me? Of course, deeply. So, so the the reality about me is I'm far more sinful than I thought. That's true for all of us in this room, by the way. I'm not, I might be the worst one, but it's close. <laughs> so that's the reality. We see ourselves. The other thing that happens is we see God's loving goodness and kindness as greater 
the longer we know Him and the more that we know Him. And what, what happens is the cross that you see there that grows over time, it gets bigger. Our understanding of the gospel and the grace of God becomes greater and greater and greater. That's what happens when we see Jesus more clearly. Our understanding of ourselves improves, but also our understanding of God's greatness and His kindness. We always get to say, when I say about myself, I'm way worse than I ever thought I was. The person that knows me the best, all the bad stuff, absolutely loves me the most. And that's true for every one of you. God knows you the best. All your thoughts, all of the thoughts that you would never dare share with anyone else. And at the same time, He loves you the most. And He knows absolutely what's best for you. The third thing in this passage, we're going to spend the most time here. God wants to lead us, and He will lead us past informational knowledge of Himself to experiential knowledge of Himself. Um, that is a book cover of my wife's, one of my wife's favorite authors. It's A Bound Heart, I think. I can't really read it from here. I looked at it. Uh, and the author's name is Laura France. Let me tell you about Laura France. Uh, my wife loves her. Uh, she's written uh, several books, and she's very popular uh, among, as, a, as a Christian historian. She ties it into history and does everything. It's really good stuff, my wife says. I've, I've not read about it, uh, but my wife has told me many, many parts of the book, so I feel kind of like a, uh, an assistant on the, to the Laura France fan club. Well, my wife ha has wanted to know Laura France, and so she will message Laura France on social media. Laura France will post something on Instagram or Facebook, and my wife will answer, and Laura France will write back, you know? And, uh, and the hope is, is that one day she's writing a book that, uh, about, that is about Yorktown, Virginia, and that one day she's going to come here and that, you know, my wife's going to get to, to meet her in person. That's the hope. Um, here's the point. My wife has read Laura Franz's writings. My wife has read about Laura Franz. My wife has even had a little bit of contact with Laura Franz, although not in person through social media. But my wife doesn't really know Laura Franz. For some of us, our relationship with God is like that. If we're honest, take it. I'm asking you to be honest. You've got some information. You know some stuff. You've been around church. You've heard some of the stories. What we're talking about today, it's not news to you. You're like, yeah, yeah, fish, they didn't have any, and then they went, Jesus, they caught a bunch, and yeah, you know. But your, your relationship is more like, oh, I know about him a little bit, like we could know about any celebrity, but maybe we've messaged him a couple of times on social media. It feels like that. It's like it's not a real relationship that has influence in your life. But that's where you are. And God, God is calling us and God is drawing us into a relationship that leads us past informational knowledge to experiential knowledge of himself. Two examples. So I'm going to jump out real quick in the passage. It says... He saw it in um, verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to push out a little bit from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So these guys are cleaning their nets, and Jesus says, hey, let's, let me use this, put it out a little bit, 
And he just, I guess he did it so he could get back and, and more of the crowd could hear him. Um, I'm sure one of the guys got in the boat with Jesus, you know, just to kind of move it out for him a little bit. These guys would have heard everything he taught when they sat there. They would have heard everything. I don't know how hard they were listening. Even the guys that were cleaning their nets would have heard what he said. But then, Jesus says, we're going to go out, we're going to go out into the, we'll put out in the, in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Think about that. The difference between sitting in your boat at the shoreline, listening to Jesus talk, versus we're going to go out in the boat and we're going to go catch some fish together. Information, experience. Now again, experience, true, it's not a perfect, it's not like one is totally one way and one is totally the other. But they, there was no risk involved in sitting by the shore listening to him teach. It's the information. But Jesus wants to lead us into more. Here's another really great example of this. Um, verse, verse 5, well, let me start at verse 4. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. He calls him Master. Now, Master, uh, the, the, it's the same word. Uh, it's like a superintendent or overseer. The, the place that you find it a lot is in the book of Exodus where it's talking about the Egyptians. It's, they had Israelite overseers. And master is what you would call your Israelite overseers in Egypt. So you were conquered people, but the person that was your overseer or your like superintendent who was Israeli, you would call them master. That's where you see the word a lot. Well, a little bit later on in verse 8, after they catch the fish, says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. Very different. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now, to, so just so there's no confusion, this isn't a translation or you know, a Greek question. This is the same word that you would use in the angel of the Lord. Or... Uh, in Matthew, when Jesus is tempted and he responds, don't put the Lord your God to the test. It's that word. Very different. What had changed for Peter from when, when he asked him to put out into the water and to when he falls on his knees before him and says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Well, what had changed for him was this experience of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he can do. Again, think about Think about the emotions. I talked about that, the, the fishing, you know, the thoughts, the feelings, the excitement. Like, they just caught more fish than they'd ever caught. Let me remind you, the fishing nets, it says, the fishing nets begin to break. They, these, are, these are fishing nets. They're made to hold fish. Okay, they don't, like, like, this is an enormous catch. And what you don't hear them talking about is celebration or elation over how much money they just made. I mean, they just, all of a sudden, it was like, wow, we can set the market. But that's not, that's not what was important here. There's two words that talk about knowledge, and you see this in the New Testament. 
Um, one of them is gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. That means knowledge. That's where we get our word. If you've heard about Gnosticism, that is taught, you they talk about it in First uh, John. It's a type of false teaching. It's a type. It's a false knowledge, but Gnosticism. So you get the word gnosis or exogenosis, and that is where it goes into the experiential knowledge. It goes from my wife knowing about Laura Franz to personally meeting Laura Franz and knowing her a little bit. There's, there's knowledge and there's experiential knowledge. And God is moving us into experiential knowledge. Here's a couple questions for you today. I think that we want to determine, has your relationship with Christ become more about head knowledge than experiencing Him personally? Here are some questions for you. How are you doing with Christ right now? I'll give you a second or two to think about each one. How are you doing with Christ right now? Does the amount of time you spend with Him reflect your loving dependence on Him? How are you using and applying the Word of God? What is your prayer life like? How do you identify with the Savior's love for the lost? I'll give you a minute if you want to. I know some people are writing them down. This is a really good set of questions to challenge you with the thought of, hey, am I, am I living in an experiential, transformated, transformational relationship with Christ or kind of a maybe stuck in a rut, got a little bit of head knowledge? I can read some books every so often. I want to take a minute and address three groups of people in this room. First one is, you're here, maybe this is your first time or your first few times, you came with a friend, you know, you just kind of decided to come check it out for whatever reason, we're thrilled you're here. But the things we're talking about, these are new to you. You're like, this is interesting, but this is pretty new to me. I want you to know that this relationship with Christ can begin right now. I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to pray a short prayer. And you can pray it with me. And then I'll give you a couple of instructions. That's for the first group. But if, you want to, if you're like, hey, I really want to start this relationship with Christ, pray this prayer with me now. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me here today. Lord, and, and right now I acknowledge, Lord, that I fall short, uh, that, that, that I, I, I sin, Lord, that I've fallen short of your glory. But Lord, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, that he loved me, he loves me, he wants a relationship with me, and Lord, I want that relationship. I don't understand everything, but I understand enough. Amen. If you, if you prayed that prayer with me or something like it, um, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. Uh, back at the sound table, Jose's back there. Jose, give a quick hand raise. There he is. Um, I'm going to ask you to go, go, just go say hello to Jose. And 
They've actually got little cards back there, three by five cards. Uh, take a minute and fill one of those out because we want to know uh, about about where you are and 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 where you are with following Christ. And make sure before you leave today that you tell somebody, tell the person that that brought you. And if you're here by yourself, tell Jose, tell me, but just make sure. So that's the first group I want to address. The second group is we talk about head knowledge. Uh, an experiential knowledge, you kind of feel like you've been found out. <laughs> that you're like, wow, this is this is me. Uh, and I, my question for you is, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do with it? You know, one of the really cool things about this passage, when Jesus asked them to put out into deep water for a catch, they had to respond. Like what led them into experiential knowledge was not reading a better book. You know, it was they had to respond and they had to take a risk. Think of the risk that they took. Lost time. What if they didn't catch any fish? There's a crowd there watching. It'd be a little embarrassing to roll back up after getting shut out again. They'd just been telling everybody for hours, hey, what'd you catch? Oh, nothing. Nothing? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, so there's risks, you know, um, and they had to, at some level, there was an obedience to it. Master, because you say so. So how are you going to respond? If you feel like, man, I'm just stuck in the head knowledge thing. Ask, pray, ask God, how, how do I, how do I need to respond to this? What do I need to move into experiencing you more? Take your time and ask God. Third thing. I want more. I want more. Yes, I'm experiencing God, and I, and I know I have. Or maybe you've got more memories of experiencing God, and now you're like, I want, I, want, I want that again. When Jesus talks about abundant life, that's what He's talking about. He's not talking about money and power. He's talking about a rich relationship with God that is vibrant, that leads you into rich relationships with people. It's exciting. You see God work all over the place. I want more. Ask yourself this question. What step of faith do I need to take? The disciples had to take that boat out. That was their step of faith to experience Jesus Christ and who He is and His power and His glory. What step do you need to take? Now, last thought. We've got a couple of announcements. We, we do this with high school kids and we always have a little fun. Um, we always, you know, and in some places they say this. How many fish did they have at the end? Some places that they actually count the number of fish. But here's the truth. You know how many fish the disciples had at the end? Zero. Zero. Why? Here's why. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They left the fish behind. The fish didn't even, like, in... In the scope of where they were in their relationship with Jesus, in the excitement to follow Him, the fish were irrelevant. I don't know if the people just the people ran over and started collecting fish that were there. I don't know. But when, when we have this experiential relationship with Jesus, this transformation leads us to rich dependence on God and compels us to participate in His work. It compels us. You know, we can't not. And these guys were so excited when Jesus says, 
from now on, you'll get to fish for people. They'll say, you know what? That's real life. That's what I want. I want to say one quick thing to uh, people. I know there's a lot of young life leaders in the room, a lot of parents, a lot of people with other roles uh, of leadership uh, in and around here. If your role or one of your roles in life is to be a spiritual leader, you must be spirit-led. You can't fake that. If, if your role or one of your roles is to be a spiritual leader, you must be spirit-led. And God's goal is not information, but experiential transformation of who you are through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray, uh, and then I'm going to have two quick announcements. Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Thank You for the gift of Your Word. Lord, uh, and we just, again, we just are so grateful to get to be here and to worship. Thank You for these friends. In Jesus' name, Amen.